Welcome to another edition of Mr. Nice Guy. I'm Ben Slowey, and today on the show, um, I have with me um, a pastor of Zhao MKE, which is a, a Jesus-rooted, uh, justice-centered, uh, radically, uh, I think that's it, fuck. It's, I, I was trying to go by the Facebook. You uh, almost nailed it. I almost nailed inclusive it. Inclusive is the word you're looking for. Radical, radically inclusive. Radically inclusive. That was, yeah. okay, there you go. Yes, uh, Jesus-centered, or Jesus-rooted, justice-centered, radically inclusive hey. church uh, over on the east side, um, and I'm excited to have them here to discuss um, uh, everything about uh, what their organization is and, you know, uh, uh, everything that's unique about it. So, uh, Jonah Overton, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. How are you? I'm all right. I'm I'm really digging the weather lately. It's super rainy and gloomy, and like everyone, it. yeah, everyone's um, telling me how sad they are about it. And I'm like, yes, it's very sad. Bring the thunder. Oh yeah. It's like I've been craving yeah. it lately, so I'm totally digging this like fall rainy weather, mm -hmm. thunderstormy vibe lately. Yeah, it's it's been a long time coming for it, definitely. Yeah. Um, I mean, the last couple days were so muggy, and I wasn't digging that so much because yeah, I was gross. like. It, yeah, it just felt really sticky and gross. Um, but then it started pouring last night, and it got chilly, and I'm like, okay, fall is... Here's fall. Yeah. Yeah, this is real good snuggle weather. I'm here for it. I, uh... I'm getting there for it. <laughs> <laughs> it takes some getting used to, for sure, but, um... Yeah, but, uh, it's, it's um, still morning, so I'm still kind of waking up, but that's okay. Um, because podcasts uh, always wake me up. Um, in the coffee too. So, um, so what we talk about on Mr. Nice Guy, we talk all things love and fear through our passionate and creative minds. Um, so we were connected through Addie Lipson. Shout out to the most wholesome, the most wholesome Addie. Uh, she's great. Um, I covered um, uh, her band Tomatillo, who um, your Husband Cameron mm -hmm. was yeah. also in, was drumming for, uh, for breaking and entering uh, back in March. It was at the River West Public House. And I'm like, wow, small world. Um, you know. Tomatillo, who will be uh, our, our live music at Zalfest oh, on October, cool. Friday, October 11th. Oh, awesome. So if you want to come check Tomatillo live, they'll be live in the parking lot um, at Zao MKE Church on the east side. 6 p.m. on October 11th for Zalfest. Do it. Is Nolan coming back? No, we have, but we do have a guest vocalist. So oh. we've got a vocalist from Tomatillo has other vocalists in the band. Okay. And then um, a guest vocalist who's, I mean, there's a lot of crossover between Tomatillo and Zao's mm -hmm. worship band. Sure. Um, so you can see most of the band on Sunday yes. mornings. Um, and we have uh, at Zao this incredible vocalist, Taylor. Okay. She can sing anything and she's she's gorgeous and amazing and um so she's going to be joining tomatillo um to to cover some of the vocals so oh, i'm i'm awesome. super pumped oh that's um, great i'm really excited awesome cool cool, yeah. cool. well uh yeah save the date october 11th south fest 
So, um, I it's my understanding that uh, y'all have uh, you have a new location. Yeah. yeah we have a first location. First it's location. Super... <laughs> 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 well, that's, that's unfair to our origins, but um, yeah, I mean, so uh, we. So I'm 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 not from Milwaukee originally. I love this city, and I you're from Chicago. I'm from Chicago. I'm from Chicago as well. Oh yeah, where yeah. at? The south suburbs. Okay, the yeah. Tinley Park area. Oh, for sure, for sure. Where are you from? Yeah, um, uh, I was born in Hyde Park, and mm. then lived as as an adult. I've lived in like Humble Park, Pilsen, oh yeah, Avondale. Sure. So like, um, but I love I love Chicago so much. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I always thought that I would be planting and working and living there. Um, but got an opportunity to come start a church here. I was, I was like sent here, invited here um, to Milwaukee because there was a need. My denomination said we just don't have um, enough good new church progressive energy here. We know that you're you know you're passionate about this. Come do it in Milwaukee, and uh, so so my job was to start a church from scratch. I moved to the River West neighborhood with the names and phone numbers of two people who lived here. Huh. Yeah, nice. And my task was like build an institution, build an organization, build a church from that. Um, and so, uh, so I rented, so our first ever like location location was my living room. Mm -hmm. And I like specifically rented a spot um, on Clark that had, uh, it had been like recently redone. So it was majorly open concept. And I was like, great, we can pack a bunch of people yeah. in here. So we called that Zao House. Okay. And I lived there, but it was like very much public space. Um, and so, uh, so we called that Zao House. So we were meeting there for a long time, but the most you could really fit in there is 35 people at once. And so we outgrew that space. Um, and we always met in other places too. We meet at Art Bar, at the Public House, um, at the beach. Mm. Um, and then, but then at some point we were like, okay, we need to do like a Sunday morning service. We want to have a full band, you know, like where do we, where do we do that? And so after a lot of searching, we ended up at the Miramar Theater. Oh, it, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Such a great, like I was delighted. I loved being at the Miramar. Um, it's a, for those who don't know, it's a oh. pretty... I used to live right next to it. Oh, hey, yeah, so you know it well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's got like kind of a grungy theater vibe. It's a lot of EDM shows mm -hmm. that are there, um, but it's like black box theater, so it meant that the space was kind of like, we could do whatever we wanted with it, and uh, sometimes there was like really cool, weird stage settings for these yeah. shows or these DJs, yeah. and so that was really fun. Um, but it was also kind of uh, a challenge. I mean, like we had, you know, we have some families with small kids, for instance. So we had like a nursery care mm -hmm. space. And at first that was the ticketing booth. And then yeah. all of a sudden we got the heads up, hey, we're turning that space into a CBD shop. <laughs> and oh, we were like, yeah. all right. Yeah. So we can't have the kids in the CBD shop. So we actually shuffled them into the bar. <laughs> oh, <laughs> because wow. Because that was the only other <laughs> yeah. set aside space. Yeah. So, you know, there were some, there were some challenges there. In addition to the fact that we have like a, this full, I mean, we have an eight person band. Mm. with like a full drum set and a drum shield and you know all, like a 26 channel mixer and stuff so like our setup and teardown was really extensive um so that was just trying so we only ever did two services a month 
Um, but I loved being at the theater. It was really fun. I think it gave people permission to kind of explore what it meant to be church or what it meant to be a spiritual community without feeling like, like no one's going into the Miramar being like lightning's going to strike me for stepping foot in the Miramar theater. You yeah, know? right. Yeah. So I think it like gave people some sense of who we are, that like we don't take ourselves that seriously, that like church can actually be something that belongs to you, not something that you have to like fit yourself into. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's a beautiful way to put it, actually. Yeah? Yeah. 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 I, I love it. I like it. Uh, I like the Miramar. Um, but we did get an opportunity. So there was an old church, a 90-year-old church, across the street from the UWM Student Union. Mm -hmm. And that congregation was thriving for a long time. But as is happening to a lot of mainline congregations, just kind of slowly um, got small and, and decided to close. And that space has been sitting open for like a year and a half. Uh, empty, rather, for a year and a half. And through some different politics, you know, we have kind of a tenuous relationship with our denomination because we're fringy and we're radical and we're leftist yeah. and we're queer. And um, But we have enough support from within the denomination that they said, hey, we want you to use this space. So we mm -hmm. just got this new home um, on Kenwood and it's like this beautiful old church building. It's massive. There's like a gymnasium and like a, a huge a sanctuary that seats hundreds and then, yeah. you know, whatever. Um, so we're kind of like, this is a big, big change from yeah. the Miramar. Um, but we're already totally making it our own. Like we're, this weekend, we're like putting up our signs that say like Black Lives Matter and God is proud of you and trans is beautiful. And so queering up that space and radicalizing that space mm -hmm. has been really, really fun. Mm -hmm. um, and so now, yeah, we're entering into this place that has like a lot of history and we're bringing a lot of like creative newness to it to just kind of mix all of that together and see what yeah. happens. So, oh, that's awesome. and because of that, we have, we can like leave everything set up now and we have good safe spaces for our kids and all that stuff came together, which means that we're going to go weekly. So we're going to have weekly Sunday morning services starting October 20th. Very awesome. So, Congratulations. Totally Thanks. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, yeah. So I guess like, uh, in, with your own experience, like with, uh, growing up in your denomination, like, I guess, like, what did you feel, um, was, I guess what you wanted more of and like, what drove you to want to be involved in such a, you know, radically, uh, inclusive and justice centered space while still retaining like that, you know, the faith aspect of it, you know, yeah. like, um, you know, uh, really believing and embracing Jesus. Like, yeah, I guess like what made you personally like really like, uh, fall into this, um, like the, the space that you're in now. Yeah, like, totally. So, um, so interestingly, I didn't grow up Methodist. Okay. Um, I grew up Lutheran. Not that there's that much distinction between the denominations, <laughs> yeah, sure. let's be real. Um, but I, so I grew up, I grew up Lutheran. My dad is a Lutheran pastor. And um, we were ELCA, so there are a lot of like ELCA Lutherans in Wisconsin. It's mm -hmm. like a very German and Swedish thing. Sure, yeah. Um, so, um, it was, and it was interesting growing up in the church. My, my dad, my dad was like a, pretty radical guy already. I mean, like, my parents, so my, my dad was, like, uh, protesting cluster bomb factories in the 70s and getting arrested with nuns. Mm -hmm. um, my mom um, went to UWM, uh, UW-Madison, in the 70s because it was, like, the place to go to burn your bra. So, like, I had these, like, great, like, politically engaged lefty parents. Yeah. Um, 
And so at home from the beginning, I always got this like radical leftist interpretation of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my most formative early experiences, uh, so I was born in 1987. And in 1989, um, so there was an ongoing conflict in, in, um, in Central America. And um, it was like civil war and stuff, in particular in El Salvador um, and Nicaragua. And the U.S. was funding and training and backing um, militant governments who were, like, oppressing the poor um, in the countryside. Mm -hmm. I promise it all relates. Yeah. Um, I believe you. (laughs) Yeah. So there were some, like, radical leftist Christian leaders um, in those areas. In particular, um, a guy named Oscar Romero uh, was a Catholic priest in El Salvador on the side of the of the poor and of the people um, who were being terrorized by you know what were literally called death squads, um, which were government death squads, which were again trained and supported by the U.S. military, um, along with the Salvadoran government. Mm-hmm. So there were radical leftist um, Christian religious leaders who were like holding it down, including and and Oscar Romero is the one that more people would likely know about. Um, he wrote some incredible and beautiful work, and he ended up being um, gunned down in his own church while he was presiding over communion, um, and and was martyred in that way. And like, uh, it was really tragic. Um, but he also became a figure, like an important figure in that movement for liberation. Mm-hmm. Um, bishop Gomez was the Lutheran bishop in San Salvador, and Bishop Gomez was similarly being targeted and threatened. Yeah. And there had been some Americans, um, some American nuns and priests um, who had come down to support um, the, the leftist folks and, and some of them had been killed. And so at the time, Bishop Gomez kind of communicated out to the ELCA, that was my dad's denomination, like, you know, come be with us, like stand in solidarity with us, um, be a part of this. And so my dad went. So when I was two years old, my dad went to El Salvador um, and was gone for weeks. And obviously as a toddler, I didn't understand this, but it became part of my family's narrative as I was growing up. And he went to be basically like a a, a witness and also like an American meat shield because um, unfortunately the way that the world works, right, it, it attracts more attention when you, like it attracted a lot of global attention when American nuns got killed. Yeah. And so um, he was kind of like a bodyguard in that way, along with some other pastors. Um, and like literally when they were on the plane, they had to like lie, they had to sit separately and lie to get into the country and say that they weren't clergy, that they were like there for vacation or you know, whatever. Um, and so they, they kind of went to do this. Um, and it was, it was just part of my understanding of what it meant to be a Christian, that that's the kind of stuff you do. So from this very early age, I had this kind of like, Yes, you fly halfway across the country, or halfway across the continent. Um, yes, you put your life on the line and enter these situations because to be a follower of Jesus means to stand with the poor and to align oneself with, with radical resistors and, um, and to be committed, more committed to justice than to status quo or government or certainly military. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like that was my picture of Christianity growing up, which I know is very different than a lot of people experience. So it was kind of baked in for me, along with the fact that when I was born, 
Um, my dad was in seminary at the time and had queer colleagues who became pastors, um, queer women who um, were closeted at the time because it wasn't safe to be out. But like one of my godmothers um, is a queer pastor. And so like from the beginning, I had these examples of what it meant to be queer and a follower of Jesus, and not just a follower of Jesus, but like a leader, a religious leader, um, and also what it meant to engage in radical leftist politics mm -hmm. from a Christian perspective. So that was kind of baked in. Now, when I went to church on Sunday mornings, I was so bored. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> I, it didn't resonate. Um, I, I think that there's beauty in the tradition that I witnessed at that time, but it just didn't resonate for me. It was a lot of like liturgy and kind of, you know, repeating the words over and over again, and the music just didn't vibe with me. And so I was like, I didn't really connect in church, but at home when we were talking about radicalism and, um, you know, I had these examples of queer leadership and then the deep spirituality, the, this sense that we're not alone in the universe, that we have um, a connection to all, all people, all creation through the divine, um, that, uh, you know, and the, the, one of the powerful, um, for me, one of the most powerful elements of Christianity as a tradition is the figure of Jesus and this idea that God is personal and that God shows up yeah. to walk the earth to mm -hmm. be with us. Um, and and that um, the spirit of God is with us always, and so so this kind of intimate experience of the divine. So that was like my childhood, and it was really rich. And and I had this, I had the freedom to ask questions and to um, be met not with like dogma, but with you know my, my my folks were like always eager to like talk with me about anything. I mean, not always give me answers, but to be like, great question. We have no idea. Like, yeah. let's talk about the nuances of that. So that's my foundation. Now, as I grew up, um, I found more and more that church itself didn't resonate. We, I, we were living in Chicago when I was young, but by the time I was in middle school, high school, we were in um, the Northwest suburbs. And it was a really homogenous space. Um, it was kind of like soccer parent church yeah. uh, and and it was beautiful for what it was and also I didn't connect I felt like an outsider um, I also had some early childhood trauma that like all the PTSD from that was kicking in when I was about 13 yeah and so I was experiencing suffering in a way that I didn't know how to relate to the church um, I don't think this is really what it was, but it felt at the time like shiny, happy people space. Yeah. And I was like, I can't pull that off. Like, that's not right. gonna work for me. Um, and and I tried really hard, and I have these like journals from when I was, you know, 12, 13, 14. And there's a time where like, it's clear that I'm so earnest in my belief, and I'm like writing to God and being like, why is this happening, and why am I struggling, and why does everything suck? Um, and thank you for being, you know, a God of love and, you know, whatever, but like, what the hell is going on? And then something happened where I just, I couldn't anymore. I found myself just not able to believe. I was like this, I really want to believe, but I don't. And I'm a person where I can't, I can't fake anything. Yeah. So I was like, oh man, this really sucks. I just mm -hmm. don't believe in God. So yeah, so I, I, I didn't believe in God anymore by the time I was like 14, 15. Um, so I ended up, I remember sitting my parents down and being like, I just, uh, you know, want you to know that this isn't coming from outside, whatever, mm -hmm. I don't believe. 
Um, and they were really supportive um, of my own process and journey. But I left the church because I was like, I can't fake this. Mm-hmm. Um, I went my own way. I dealt with my trauma in some really uh, self-destructive ways. Um, in particular, became substance abusive. Um, I was using Ivy heroin. Um, and that didn't really help, turns out. Yeah. Um, in fact, it made a lot of things much worse. So, um, uh, so yeah, I was a, I was like a, a daily constant, um, IV heroin user by the time I was 17. Um, so when I was 18, I, I knew I was going to die. I had some friends who had already died. Um, there were people who were dying from the spot that I was picking up at and I didn't stop picking up. So mm-hmm. I was like, I am really suicidal. Like I'm acting so recklessly. And I kind of had like a heart to heart with myself about that. Um, and I had, I had this moment, this like, this moment where I was, uh, I was going to pick up. I had, I had already picked up, but I hadn't used yet. And like, I was just, you know, so much inner turmoil. The reason I was using heroin is because I just couldn't cope with all of the shit that was going yeah. on eternally. Mm-hmm. And it was just like so loud and so overwhelming. And I I heard myself kind of like shouting out to God, being like, God, where the fuck are you? Or actually, I think it was Jesus. Jesus, where the fuck are you? Um, and then like, and that was like moments before my system was flooded with heroin and I all of a sudden was like really, you know, dazed and whatever. But like I had this moment going from like agony to feeling just like nothing because that's what heroin did to me. Um, and like in that nothingness, I just thought like, oh, that's really funny that I was like yelling at God because I didn't think I believed in God. Mm-hmm. Uh, huh. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like and it just gave me this kind of like thought experiment because I was like, oh, well, some part of me believes in God enough to feel really mad about it. Yeah. And to yeah. feel really betrayed and abandoned. And I guess just because of how my brain works, I found hope in that because I was like, cool. Like, there's something there. Like, there's some kind of a relationship there. It's not that I don't believe in God. It's that it's really buried. And I'm really angry. Mm-hmm. And I have, some, I have some bones to pick with God. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so as I was kind of like confronting the fact that I was really suicidal and that I was going to die if things continued in that direction, uh, I looked at, at my life around me and was like, okay, so the only people I know that are in my life at this time who really want to be alive and have joy in their life uh, are my family. And the thing that seems to be really fundamentally different about our lives and the thing that seems to give them that grounding and that hope is their faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really meaningful to them and it, and it gives them something. And so kind of piecing all that together, I made a deal with God, which you're not supposed to do, Right. (laughs) but I did. Um, I, I gave God six months. I said, okay, I'm going to try this for six months. I'm going to like drop everything in my life. I'm going to drop out of school. Um, I'm going to move back home if my parents will have me. I'll go to rehab because I'm sure that's what they're going to want me to do if I tell them I'm a heroin addict. Um, And and I'll try for six months to, like, find Jesus. And if at the end of six months I can't do that and nothing's better, then I'll just go back to what I was doing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I did. I, like, quit my whole life. And I, you know, 
I came clean, so to speak, to my parents, um, who were incredibly supportive and also terrified for my safety and well-being. Um, and and I like poured myself into reading about God and talking to my dad, who was a pastor, and so had you know good good conversation and just trying to figure it out. Um, so through my kind of path back, because the the kind of Lutheran worship setting didn't really connect with me, the space that I actually found connection at was um, with like charismatic non-denom evangelicals. I don't know if any of those phrases mean anything to you, but they're like big red flags for most, yeah. you know, people who are not those things, yeah. um, because they're usually very conservative. And and these were these were church plants. These were um, churches that were had been started recently by people trying to do something new in the church. And so that was kind of a common thread there. But um, and so it was like young people, but young people were really passionate about spirituality, passionate about Jesus, but with like crap theology. Yeah. And so I kind of had to put all the theology on hold. I had this beautiful basis of theology and ideas about God and ideas about how to read the Bible from when I was a child. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, okay, well, you're wrong about that and that and that and that. But like when the music is played here, I feel something stir within me. Yeah. When you all kind of pray and it's not coming out of a book, but it's just coming out of like your connection with the moment and with this crowd of people, like I feel something powerful happening. And so that kind of culture of like music and prayer and like young people who were just passionate about building something, that was really powerful. So that's actually how I got connected back into the church was with, with these like conservative, queerphobic, misogynist, yeah. but like loving people who did community really well, who were like really deeply connected to one another, um, doing things like intentional community and like living together in these really profound ways. Yeah. And that was really cool. So, um, so that takes you to like me being, you know, like 21 and in recovery and um, all this other stuff. There's another 10 years in the middle there where I was like a community organizer and got a, a more progressive theological education. Mm-hmm. Couldn't find any place to go to church because I was like, okay, so I'm a radical leftist, genderqueer, queer sexual charismatic evangelical Jesus freaky Christian like yeah. where do I go right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's nowhere um, and the more that I uh, the more that I kind of connected with people about that the more I realized I wasn't actually alone that there are a lot of people who are are queer and or radical leftist and or trans um, and or just like cooler than your average bear who also um, love Jesus, love the Bible, love the Christian tradition, and aren't willing to engage in spaces that are homophobic and misogynist right. and white supremacist and yeah. terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, so I, I encountered some communities that were doing some cool stuff. They were all communities that had been started from scratch. And I just felt kind of drawn into that to say, like, you know what? If the church that we love and need and long for doesn't exist yet, We've got to build it. Yeah. And so I, I went into that trusting that there would be enough people out there who would want to do radical leftist church with like a full band and wild prayer and creativity and, um, and you know, be bold about Jesus and also bold about queerness. And, and I lucked out because there, it turns out in Milwaukee, there are enough people to make that viable. Mm-hmm. And it's been, it's transformed into something totally beyond what my imagination could have conceived of. 
Um, and so now Zhao is not just like a twinkle in my eye, but this like living, growing, breathing thing that's influenced by my hopes and dreams and journey, but also like so many other people's. Yeah. So I know that was a super windy long um, memoir of an answer, but I, I think that covers it. It's very, very beautiful. <laughs> uh, thank you for sharing Thanks. your journey, and I'm really proud of you. Thanks. Um, you uh, really like. It, it sounds like you know you really did have that like, almost like a rebirth of sorts with like you know being from such a low point, coming back into who you truly are and finding Jesus again. Yeah. Um, which is really really amazing um also like what like it's great that you were encouraged to ask questions yes um within faith which is um, rare which is very rare i mean yeah. it like and uh, there's a lot of people that don't do that you know they take faith at face value mm -hmm. and just sort of you know follow what's indoctrinated in them and that's just they don't really dive deeper into, you know, the mysticisms or like why things are, you know, skepticism, if you will, yeah. like in Judaism, we are encouraged to do that a pretty good amount, yeah. um, which is why I do, even though I'm not religious by any means, I still do like hold like the parts, I guess, that resonate with me about Judaism is that we're encouraged to ask questions and mm -hmm. we're encouraged to you know, be skeptical of things that were taught. Um, and, and there's been like, I wasn't raised with like Hebrew school or, or, you know, Sunday school or like, um, any of that. Stuff. Like I, I, I went to like a JCC growing up. Um, actually I've been to the Hyde Park JCC a couple oh. of times. <laughs> um, but, uh, I've, um, it was pretty minimal, uh, my like Jewish background growing up until I was in high school and then I was in youth group and then once I got to college, like I started actually like getting immersed in Jewish student life and uh, met a rabbi or like for the first time, I got bar mitzvah at 21. Cool. I was, it was a late bloomer. Yeah. Bar mitzvahs at 21 are a lot more fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, but like it, it is like, um, especially as um, a lot of people, especially people um, my age, like in their 20s, um, you know, people your age, like that are, you know, in their 30s even, like are, they sort of like leave their faith uh, behind them once they grow up and they mm -hmm. like enter more, um, they enter a more progressive mindset with like how the way things should be or like, you know, the their disillusionment with the current, you know, capitalist government and, and the system and just, you know, people sort of abandoned, they abandoned faith a lot because it just doesn't resonate with them like it did, you know, when they were born and raised with it. And this is just the, they, this is the things that they were like taught yeah. and they just sort of, they abandoned it because it just doesn't really like have beliefs and values that you know, really move them forward. But, um, I think it's beautiful when people can retain that, that, you know, belief in whatever their God is, but still having like, still having like that yearning for like an inclusive, progressive, radical, even, um, mindset of like the way the world should be where 
equality and equity are embraced and sought after and we you know we look for politics that are that you know are there for all individuals and not just those with privilege um i think it's really great and it, even in judaism like we're um like you know right down the street from you at zao like i went to hillel a lot and like uw is a pretty uh left-leaning campus i would say generally mm-hmm. um i mean there's there's people that still do crazy weird shit in the space plaza but um like we've we should, already been vandalized and gotten some hate mail yeah so. yeah <laughs> we've only been there a few weeks oh yeah we still had uh brother jed oh yeah 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 you know we yeah we've still had like westboro baptist church come to campus we've still had you know like the We've still had reactionaries, but that all being said, like, you know, generally, like, we've had, especially with our halal, has been, I want to shout out Dana Samuels, because Dana especially, like, really embraced, like, having, um, you know, bringing social justice into a, into a faith-based space. Yeah. Uh, because a lot of people are, like, afraid of churches or yeah. or any religious organization because they fear they're not going to be accepted for who they are for good reason usually, yeah right like that that fear of religious institutions is well earned mm-hmm. through trauma and actually a lot of what we a lot of folks who come to Zao are in part dealing with processing and healing what i would call religious trauma yeah which is i mean like that's that's very real mm-hmm. yeah like um, and Dana now like lives back in California, but like they host queer Bible study yeah, every week. Yeah, queerology. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, exactly. Which yeah. you know still like embraces like the Bible, the Talmud, you know, religious yeah. text. But instead of like the interpretations of like you know what we've been so led to believe that people have you know become fundamentalist and like oh like this is you know like this is who you need to marry. This is what you need to eat. This is like. You have to live your life this way, otherwise, you know, you're 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 sinning or you're bad. It's like instead, it's like why don't we embrace just really the way it, you know, the what the 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 text that's often been overlooked is like love and accept and include all, you know, not just those that fall into a very like you know specific uh, category of like what they look like or who they are or whatever, like you know. So like I and. So our Hillel over my own college career became a lot more um, justice oriented awesome. and it became more open, uh, especially with, you know, questioning, like being a Jewish space, questioning blind loyalty to Zionism um, and like really and like uh, also just looking to partner with and actually embrace other marginalized communities on campus, like other cultural orgs, like really embracing like diversity rather than like feeling like we need to, you know, rather than like we're in it for ourselves. Um, and even beyond just college, like as the, as the times have evolved, it's just, I see a lot of radical queer left or just, you know, very socially conscious Jewish organizations doing great work totally um one of my like good buddies uh he uh is involved in if not now mm. uh jewish anti uh occupation group it's like those spaces that are allowed to really practice their faith but also be who they truly are and like i think that's you know like 
that is that can help sort of undo that religious trauma that we were talking about mm -hmm. because we don't uh, because we, we really just don't um, um, intersect the two nearly enough uh, but we're I think we're starting to so I'll, I'll, in the in a parallel kind of way I think there's a lot of Jewish organizations that are trying to become you know conscious and yeah no religion is uh, is beautiful spirituality is beautiful and I think that one of the things that we that gets twisted about it is that people think like okay religion only has one type of expression or like religion necessarily is co-opted by the state um, or by capitalism or by evil in general mm -hmm. and um, and I, I think that religion understanding religion and its power it's more like it's more akin to something like understanding science or art uh, that like it's a part of human experience human culture human expression human meaning making mm -hmm. um, and it can absolutely be co-opted for evil or used for good mm -hmm. um, you know like science we tend to give science credit and say science is neutral but like science is a powerful tool that has been used to like to I mean like they're the science of eugenics, the science, the ways that science was used in this country um, to and was abused to um, uh, to experiment on black bodies and yeah. like you know black men were given syphilis on purpose by scientists, right? right. Like science can be abused to to hurt people and to be cruel, or science can be used to develop um, cures to diseases and to make our make our lives better and make our um, our world function better. The Stanford prison experiments, another example. Yeah, so, yeah. So, so religion is an expression of human meaning making that can be that's very powerful, mm -hmm. uh, and something that's really powerful can be powerfully wounding and violent and cruel, as we know religion can be, mm -hmm. and something that's powerful can be powerfully healing and creative and life-giving mm -hmm. and one of the reasons that it's so important for for the state or for capitalist forces to co-opt religion is because of how powerful it is because it, when it's not used to uphold the state it's used to undermine the state yeah. all the time um, and so you know I, I like to talk about um, in this country the black civil rights movement the kind of strength and internal grounding and spiritual community that it would take to stand in the in the streets and get beaten down by cops mm -hmm. and like not fight back because that's the way of nonviolent resistance the spiritual grounding that you need to do that shit is enormous mm -hmm. and so the power that that uh, religious belief and religious community can afford people toward the work of justice and creative resistance is is incredible so no wonder uh, religion is like scooped up as quickly as possible by by forces that actually want to to control people. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when you're talking about like the whole concept for the podcast, love and fear. When when I think of fear, I immediately think of capitalism um, and and scarcity, right? The scarcity of capitalism and the the drive towards competition, the 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 necessity Classes of and everything, yeah. Well, the necessity of fear to keep that alive, mm -hmm. that there's not going to be enough for me if I don't, like, look out for me and mine. Um, one of Jesus's like, main threads that he did through every, all of his teaching was abundance. 
And he, he basically said, like, I'm here that you might have life and have life abundantly. There's always more than you think there is. I've provided everything for you. There's enough here. And we know that that's true, right? We know that there's enough resources in the world for everyone to have their needs met. And yet the disparity is because capitalism pulls it apart and stratifies it and you know the very few have the vast majority of resources and you know it gets delineated down to the folks who have way less than what they need to have abundant life so um, so there is you know if capitalism can can take religion and say no this is the order of things then it justifies itself but if we're actually looking to the teachings of Jesus looking to the Hebrew scriptures around justice like there there's clear mandates all over those texts that say you care for the orphan, the widow, and the poor. Like, fuck the government. Like, you know, kings. There's a whole there's a whole history of like you, Israel being like, we want kings, and God being like, kings suck. Why would you want kings? Right. You know, like, yeah. and and so there's this. You know, scripture to me is like this collection of human um, storytelling to try and make sense of the world around us and the divine and one another. Um, and we just see all the ways that this plays out, but the, the through line is there is enough if only we would care for one another. Um, and that, that's, a, that's socialism, that's communism, that's not capitalism, right. and that's not, you know, that's not U.S. patriotism, and that's not nationalism and xenophobia. Right. So, so it, like, I think that religion um, and these religious traditions that we've been talking about in particular um, are threatening if they're like, taken at their what I believe is their core mm -hmm. and their core values and teachings absolutely threatening to the way um, to the way of, of US imperialism yeah. and capitalism mm -hmm. it's always become so uh, it always becomes such a, a, a power structure a power struggle if you will uh, when religion becomes political like that and where it's snatched by mm -hmm. uh, a government um and used, like, for example, like, when people talk about, like, the U.S. was founded under Judeo-Christian values, mm -hmm. and it's like, there's, it's like, when the government is mandating, like, religion in, um, in its, like, functional, like, societal norms, then it's like, it, it becomes very, it's supposed to be very, like, linear, like, there's not too much, mm -hmm. it's like, no ambiguity. Right, yeah. exactly. No questions asked, yeah. going back to what we were talking about earlier. Um, but, yeah, and, and it's also used in that way to, to justify uh, the, the hierarchical division of, of people and of classes and who, had, who is, you know, in, in power, who is controlling things versus like you know who's living under it and like who mm -hmm. who is powerless against the system um and how do we justify that and right keep that status quo yeah sure. exactly yeah. because yeah like um but I, I think that everything you're saying is like uh i mean i i've never even like read religious texts really uh other than my my uh torah portion from my bar mitzvah Maybe. but <laughs> but um but everything you're saying about how like no like if you actually read the text like it's mm -hmm. it embraces like you know power to the people and like you know let's let's like share the love and the beauty and and the you know the community of this life and you know let's you know take care of one another let's look after one another rather than like no like rather than um 
know like religion is going to be used as a tool to uh, as a weapon. It's being weaponized against mm-hmm. people, yeah. um, which is how, which is exactly why people have that religious trauma. Um, you know, it's like then you ask, what are like, what is the system even like? You know, how religious actually even are they? You know, it's like. Are, how religious is even this person if they're bigoted, if they're hateful, mm-hmm. if they're racist, sexist, if they, you know, just are a very, like, unaccepting person, then it's like, well, how even religious are you? You're not operating out of, out of you know, religious uh, principle. You're operating out of fear. You're operating out of hatred. Yeah. And to me, hatred and fear are the same thing. Hatred yeah. is just a is a it's a it's a safety net of sorts of fear where it's you're you're justifying your fear of something by you know casting it on somebody else or some something else um so i i think that when people are using religion to oppress people it's really just because they're afraid of losing that control yeah Absolutely. And like that, Jesus has like two very specific teachings related to that. Um, one is, you know, so Jesus was Jewish. Right. He's working with yeah. the Hebrew scriptures and the law, the, you know, Torah and the prophets. And, um, and, the, and this is for the record, that's one of the reasons I think it's so just like wildly inappropriate that so many Christian communities have tamped down questions because as you mentioned, the Jewish tradition is built on debate and discourse and questions and thought experiments, you know, midrash and all this kind of like, well, what if, you know, and, and Jesus is like smack in the middle of that, um, kind of go, I mean, like one of his favorite phrases is you've heard it said, but I tell you, which is just him reinterpreting and playing with things and asking questions. Um, and so, uh, you know, Christianity has lost what I think is a fundamental part of the way that Jesus does spirituality in terms of interacting with Holy scriptures. Um, but when somebody came to Jesus and said, you know, how do I follow the law? How do I follow the law? You know, ultimately his answer was love the Lord, your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Um, on this hangs, you know, all the law and the prophets. So his interpretation of the entirety of scripture, um, because for Jesus, only the Hebrew scriptures were scripture, the stuff that Christians have later added and said this is also scripture didn't even exist yet when jesus was talking about you know the word of god he was talking about jewish texts so when he was interpreting them he said love the 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 whole of this text the whole of the meaning is love god and love one another as yourself um and so that's his his whole summary you know he's like tldr you know love one another as yourself love god um and then one of his commentaries about love is that perfect love casts out fear. So, so he too, you know, doesn't contrast love with hate, but love with fear mm-hmm. and says that love is the antidote to fear. And so for anyone to uh, have as the basis of their so-called Judeo-Christian religious belief, uh, fear, at, at least in terms of Jesus's interpretations of the of the Hebrew scriptures, that's a complete violation of all those principles. That like actually you're you know drawn in you know to the law, to the prophets, um, to Jesus' teachings. That's all drawn being drawn in towards love, and love drives out fear. 
um, and perfect love, which you know we were supposed to strive for, but also perfect love, which is Jesus's characterization of God, mm-hmm. um, and that fear has no place in the realm of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, so again, like that that idea then that people could, you know, go to church on Sundays or, um, you know, go to temple and then come out with these like bigoted uh, worldviews that are fear-driven and hateful is like so disconnected from actually what I think is the heart of spirituality and spiritual community um, and certainly the teachings of Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I totally agree and I think that your space is a is a really, for one it's a breath of fresh air and it's, uh, it's also, um, it's a great like re- like re-envisioning of like what faith should really look like. Um, that inclusivity, that justice, you know, that still like really believing and embracing, you know, the Lord, the, like your God, whatever that may mean to an individual, but like, you know, still actually living by the principle of acting out of love and not fear. So, uh, I guess, like, what, um, yeah, so now that the space is here, yeah. uh, which is really exciting, I guess, like, uh, yeah, like, what, what's to come uh, in the next couple of months with Zao? Yeah. Besides Zao Fest, of course. Yeah, so Zao Fest, I mean, like, we're just, we're throwing ourselves a welcome to the neighborhood yeah. party. <laughs> yeah, So that's, like, a block party on, on the 11th where, you know, like I mentioned, the live music, but we're going to have, like, food trucks, and our friends at North Node Clinic are going to provide free acupuncture and guided meditation, cool. and... Um, we've got like a green screen photo booth and just like basically all of our, we're like all of our friends do cool shit. So we're like, mm-hmm. let's all do it together at the same time, yeah. you know? Um, so we're throwing that block party on Friday the 11th. And then um, on the 13th, uh, so that's a Sunday at 10 a.m., we're going to do a house blessing, which is kind of a, uh, a religious practice where like if you move into a home, you you bless it room by room and whatever. Um, we're, we don't want to call this new building, Zhao. Um, so we're actually resurrecting the term Zhao House. This mm. is just our new cool. Zhao House. Yeah. Um, so we're going to do a Zhao House house blessing um, on the 13th in preparation, and then launch is the 20th. So after that, you know, regular services Sundays um, at 10 a.m. Monthly we do Holy Spirits, which is where we're at a, a local bar, just like talking theology. Um, and that's, I mean, like all of our spaces are open to people who don't know what they believe, uh, believe things other than Christianity. And we have a pretty wide range. We have folks, you know, in our core leadership who are like, oh, I'm agnostic, but I, you know, this space is meaningful to me. Or like, I'm Jewish, but I'm like down to hear about Jesus, you know, as yeah. long as nobody's like pressuring me and you know what mm-hmm. I mean? So like we, we have a lot of folks who experience their own spirituality in many different ways. Um, and a lot of folks will join us for Sunday mornings, but some folks who want kind of less of the religious vibe will come to Holy Spirit. Sure. Um, Cause that's more like philosophical and super fun. Cool. Um, but yeah, uh, so we have, we have just like a lot of different kind of events going on. Um, but it's just really exciting to be able to, I don't know, like root down in this new place. And like I, I um, we have like, community gardening space now so we're like putting literal roots down and like that's super fun you know to to be able to say like um church should be a place where you can bring the fullness of yourself 
and what better way um, to like ensure that everyone feels loved and whole and welcome there than to like start it with people from scratch, you know? Because like there are churches that are trying to like become more inclusive, for instance. Um, but we're still at this stage, you know, we're such an early, in an early stage of our like being born that like people can walk in the door tomorrow and influence what this, what our culture is going to become and the ways that we teach and talk and, and party and, you know, whatever. Yeah. So like, um, we're, I'm really excited because like the community is still being formed. And so that question of like, what would church look like if I could build it myself? is still an open question um, and so people are kind of bringing their their creativity and we'll see how that shakes out as we're like starting this new thing um, so yeah I'm super pumped awesome we love to see it yeah it's exciting all right Jonah <laughs> um, well this was wonderful talking all things out uh, spirituality um, religious used for love and not fear yeah uh, very good stuff um, so, uh, tell me what keeps you up at night? What keeps me up at night? Yes. Oh, I was not prepped for these questions. Oh yeah. Oh, what keeps me up at night? Um, I mean, there's a lot of horrifying things in the world right now. Um, what keeps me up at night is, uh, the, the dream I have that our imagination can be, can build beyond the scarcity of the world around us. And my hopes that we can all um, set aside our fear to like imagine and birth a new thing mm -hmm. that is like holy and good and creative and powerful and fun. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. What puts you to sleep though? What puts me to sleep? Like in a good way or a bad way? A uh, good way. In a good, good way. way. Yeah. Uh, like what gives me what gives me that kind of hope? Um, honestly, I know it's gonna sound so cheesy because I'm a pastor. Um, it is my faith. Yeah. It is my faith and my trust that, uh, so I, since we're doing video, um, this, this tattoo, I have a bunch of tattoos. This one was a gift. Um, it says Klukwana. It's, a, a stick and poke. So my friend who is Nichalnith, um, of the Nichalnith tribe in, um, uh, like off the coast of Vancouver, um, they gave me the stick and poke tattoo, uh, and it's of the saying of their tribe. Um, and it means we remember reality. Their spirituality um, talks about creator as creator owns reality. And there's a whole mythology around like the, the creator is more powerful than the destroyer and the forces of destruction. And so it's this promise, like we remember reality. We remember that reality belongs to creator, that creator by virtue of being creative and powerful um, will, will win out with joy um, and newness rather than destruction. So that's what, that's what puts me to sleep at night, knowing that, um, that I am a blip on the radar of, of reality, which is creative and mm -hmm. powerful, um, and will be made whole someday. Very awesome. Well, thank you for being on the yeah, show. Yeah, thank you so much. I had a great time. It was so great to like actually meet and talk yeah, to you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I remember, uh, if you are interested in faith, but also radical justice and inclusivity and love and beauty and all that yeah check out Sal. hit me Sal up house. yeah thank you for watching mr nice guy and we'll see you next time